The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. From the Bloomberg Interactive Burger Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Thursday, May 4th. Coming up today. PacWest is the latest regional bank to plunge as it considers strategic options. Big names on Wall Street say the Fed deserves blame for the current crisis. Jay Powell raises rates again but leaves the door open for a pause. And Apple prepares to report earnings this afternoon. The Manhattan DA rules the death of a subway rider who died by a chokehold, a homicide. Plus, the suspected gunman in a deadly Atlanta shooting has been caught. I'm John Tucker. More ahead. I'm John Stashauer in sports. A walk-off win for the Yankees. The Mets got swept. The Devils lost game one at Carolina. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Each morning on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. We begin this morning with continued turmoil in the banking industry. The regional lender PacWest Bank Corp has been weighing a range of strategic options, including a sale. We get the details from Bloomberg's Doug Krisner. Yes, PacWest is open to a sale, although the company hasn't started a formal auction process. We're also told the Beverly Hills Bank is considering a breakup or a capital raise. Now, an outright sale has been hindered because there aren't many potential buyers interested in the entire bank. PacWest compromises a community lender called Pacific Western Bank, as well as some commercial and consumer lending businesses. Also, a buyer would have to potentially book a big loss on marking down some of those loans. In New York, I'm Doug prisoner Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Doug, thanks. Well, shares of PacWest originally fell 60% on the news, but just after midnight on the East Coast, the regional bank confirmed it's in talks with several potential investors and said deposits have increased since March. Checking shares of PacWest right now, they are down almost 37% in early trading. And reaction is pouring into this latest chapter in the banking crisis. Karen Pershing Square's Bill Ackman says the U.S. regional banking system is at risk. He goes on to say regulator fit Failures to update and expand the insurance regime has, quote, hammered more nails in the coffin. And Nathan, the Federal Reserve deserves some blame for the banking crisis. That's the view from former New York Fed president and current Bloomberg opinion columnist Bill Dudley. I think the Fed broadly missed the fact that, that, that this interest rate risk that they had created by being very late to tighten monetary policy, that they created by flooding the bank with deposits by doing quantitative easing, that they created part of the stress on the banking system that arose when they had to tighten monetary policy by 5% in a little over a year. And former New York Fed President Bill Dudley made the comments just after the Fed's latest rate decision. Stay tuned for more of his interview with Bloomberg coming up shortly. Fed Chair Jay Powell also addressed the banking turmoil during his news conference yesterday, Karen. That was before the latest news on PacWest. Powell says issues in the banking sector are not systemic. Conditions in that sector have broadly improved since early March, and the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient. We will continue to monitor conditions in the sector. We're committed to learning the right lessons from this episode and will work to prevent events like these from happening again. 
Well, as far as monetary policy, Powell and company did raise rates for a tenth straight time, but opened the door to a June pause for rate hikes. We got this reaction from former Atlanta Fed President Dennis Lockhart. The focus is on inflation. They're trying very hard to separate financial stability concerns, system banking system concerns from monetary policy. We'll see if if conditions force them to begin to combine financial stability concerns with monetary policy decisions. Former Atlanta Fed President Dennis Lockhart says overall he thinks Jay Powell is taking a long-term hawkish position on policy. Interest rates are also in focus overseas, Karen. The European Central Bank is poised to slow the pace of interest rate increases later this morning. It's after its preferred measure of inflation eased for the first time in 10 months. Officials at the Central Bank are expected to raise the deposit rate by a quarter point to 3.25%. Well, staying in Europe here, Nathan, shares of Shell are up more than 2%. First quarter profit beating estimates and the oil giant said it will repurchase a further $4 billion of shares. That's the same buyback size as in the prior quarter. And back here in the U.S., Karen, the earnings continue to roll in as well with Apple leading the way today. We get a preview from Bloomberg's Tom Busby. Despite expectations of continued solid sales of iPhones, watches, MacBooks and other gadgets, Wall Street is bracing for what could be a second year-over-year sales decline in a as consumers here in the U.S. and all around the world pull back a bit on their spending. But Apple also expected to boost its dividend and increase its share buyback program, which it did by $90 billion just a year ago. For the second quarter, look for revenue of just under $72 billion, $49 billion of that from iPhone sales, and consensus calls for earnings per share of $1.43. Tom Busby, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Tom, thanks. Well, turning to politics, we're just days away from a key meeting on the debt ceiling, and now economists at the White House are issuing a new warning. The Council of Economic Advisors says a short default on the debt would cost a half million jobs and knock six-tenths of a percent off GDP. If it lasted a full quarter, GDP would fall more than six percent, and the unemployment rate would go up five percent. Democratic Congressman Henry Cuellar is pushing for a clean debt ceiling increase. We cannot have a default because that's going to cause the uh, the U.S. We saw that in 2011. Uh, we did it at the very end. And what happened? Uh, the, the U.S. credit w- was downgraded and that caused a lot of more money uh, where we're paying out billions of dollars uh, on interest because of uh, the downgrade. And Congressman Henry Cuellar of Texas spoke with our Washington correspondent Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Sound On. Catch the show weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Time now to take a look at some of the other stories making news in New York and around the world. For that, we're joined by Bloomberg's John Tucker. Good morning, John. And Nathan, the New York medical examiners ruled the death of a 30-year-old subway rider a homicide. The NYPD says the man had been shouting at people aboard a train on Monday. Then fellow riders tackled him and one, a U.S. Marine, put him in a chokehold that lasted until his body went limp. The medical examiner says 30-year-old Jordan Neely died from compression of the neck. Neely's known to some New Yorkers as a Michael Jackson impersonator in Times Square. Mayor Adams was asked on CNN about the investigation. Well, right now it's still ongoing, and really our hearts go out to the family and this terrible incident. And the district attorney, as you stated, the ME medical examiner's office just uh, ruled the case. And now it's in the hands of the investigators to determine exactly what happened. There's so many unknowns at this time. For now, the Manhattan DA has not charged anyone. 
Police in Atlanta say they caught the suspected gunman who shot and killed one woman and wounded four others at a medical center. The mother of the alleged suspect, 24-year-old Dion Patterson, says he was upset over a medical mix-up and wanted a drug to deal with anxiety and depression. Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens. It's the guns that we're talking about. We live in a state and in a nation where people have easy and wide access to firearms that are used to kill other fellow Americans. We need immediate action that meets the urgency of this crisis. Mayor Dickens says a citizen's tip led to Patterson's arrest. Two people are dead, including a seven-year-old girl after a shooting in Newark, New Jersey last night. Two others were wounded in what police say are, is a domestic dispute at a home on Johnson Avenue. The suspect gunman was also killed. A judge dismissed Donald Trump's $100 million lawsuit against the New York Times and its reporters over a 2018 expose on his taxes. The New York State Supreme Court judge also ordered the former president to pay the news outlet's attorney's fees. Prosecutors are said to be nearing a decision on whether to charge President Biden's son, Hunter, with tax violations. The Washington Post says that's according to people familiar with the matter. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. I'm John Tucker. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Thank you, John. Time now for our Bloomberg Sports update. For that, we bring in John Stanshower. All right, Nathan, it was a long day and not a good one for the Mets. In Detroit, a day-night doubleheader. The Tigers won the opener 6-5, scoring twice in the eighth inning off Adam Ottavino. Detroit catcher Eric Haas had five hits, and then he hit two home runs in the nightcap. One by the Tigers, 8-1. Max Scherzer, back from his suspension, gave up six runs and eight hits this afternoon. Justin Verlander makes his Mets debut. Yankees are off before starting a weekend series at Tampa Bay. The Rays just won again. They are 25-6, 16-2 at home. They're eight and a half games ahead of the Yankees, who did rally to win a second straight over Cleveland at the stadium. The Yanks trailed 2-0, got home runs in the fifth inning from Willie Calhoun and new Yank outfielder Jake Bowers. Calhoun drove in the tying run, bottom of the ninth inning, and the Yanks won 4-3 on a Jose Trevino hit in the 10th. Before the game, Yankee GM Brian Cashman said the reason his team is in last place, injuries. We're banged up so bad right now. If it was a short season, we'd be taken out. Uh, But we have time to make up ground, um, and we're going to compete with who we have here, and we look forward to getting who we need back. You know, at a later date. Yeah, so that Aaron Judge back next week. Stanley Cup playoffs, Carolina, an easy game one win over the Devils in Raleigh, 5-1. to one. That's the same score of the game's one and two losses by the Devils against the Rangers. And, of course, they came back and won that series. Vegas beat Edmonton 6-4. The Oilers' Leon Dreitseidel scored all four in defeat. NBA Boston blew out Philadelphia by 34. That series tied at one. The Jets have signed veteran wideout Randall Cobb, a longtime teammate of Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. John Stashetler, Bloomberg Sports. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. 
So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. Let's continue the conversation now on the latest rate hikes from the Federal Reserve and the continued turmoil in the regional banking sector. If we've learned one thing over the past year's monetary tightening cycle, it is that there are no guarantees. There was no guarantee that the Fed would raise interest rates as fast as it did. And it's not guaranteed they're now going to pause. Fed Chair Jerome Powell signaled the central bank could stop hikes after yesterday's quarter point increase, but that the central bank will remain data dependent. At the same time, the Fed's not just following the data. It's also closely watching continued turmoil in the regional banking sector. Bill Dudley ran the New York Fed, is currently a Bloomberg Opinion columnist. He says the central bank should keep an eye on how this turmoil unfolds, but he thinks it's also time to own up to the way interest rate increases may have fueled the crisis. Bill Dudley discussed that along with Jay Powell's news conference yesterday with Bloomberg's Tom Keen, Lisa Abramowitz, and Jonathan Farrell. Let's bring you that discussion now. If they pause, is it asymmetric or symmetric? Does a pause mean rate cuts to come? Or they can say, we're going to pause and we can go either way? Well, I think they can pause and and then continue to tighten again if the data turns out to support that. But obviously, when they do pause, they're making a pretty strong statement that they've gotten enough information, that they're confident that policy is sufficiently restrictive, to use Chairman Powell's terms, to bring inflation down to 2% over time. So a pause is going to be a pretty significant event from the from the Fed. Now, obviously, context matters. If we're in the middle of a debt limit ceiling fight at the time of the June FOMC meeting, you might take a pause for other reasons. But I would say a pause will be a pretty uh, important event. What the Fed was trying to do today was say, look, we don't know if we're going to pause or not at this point. Uh, the message, I think, in the statement and in the press conference was pretty clear. We think we're getting close to a level that's sufficiently restrictive. We're not absolutely certain. Right. The data's going to tell us that we have to do a little bit more. We're clearly not going to cut yet. So I think the, the the pushback that the Fed is making is really to the market's pricing and rate cuts. The Fed thinks that the process of getting inflation down to 2% is going to take some time, a lot longer than what the market thinks. What is the cumulative effect of where we are right now, given how you nailed the need for higher rates to fight inflation? Well, we're certainly in the vicinity of what, what's sufficient, I think, in my mind. Uh, whether they have to do another, you know, 
increase or two. It's it's hard to say at this point. You know, we've come a long way in the last year. As Chair Paul said in his press conference, you go 500 basis points, 5% increase in short-term rates. That's a lot in a, in a year. And we're also starting to see some of the effects of that on the on the banking system so that the Fed has a whole other source of restraint, which is uh, credit uh, conditions are going to tighten because some banks are going to pull off. Now, the hard part, as he said in his press conference, it's very hard to assess how important that ch a channel is going to be. My own personal view is it's going to be fairly weak because the problems that these banks face were not that they went out and made bad loans. The problem that, that these banks face is they went out and took a lot of interest rate risk. Bill, were you satisfied with the explanations or the answers to the questions about the supervisory of some of these banking institutions that have failed? Well, I don't think the Fed is, you know, taking the full responsibility for being pretty uh, slow on this process. I mean, if you go back and look at the November financial stability report, which I did this morning, uh, there's, there's basically no mention of any kind of, you know, interest rate risk mismatch, any kind of liquidity, potential liquidity problem uh, in the bank. So it wasn't just a question of the supervision not being uh, more aggressive with Silicon Valley Bank. I think the Fed basically missed the risk here that deposits could flow out very, very quickly because of the mark-to-market losses on some of these banks' balance sheets. Do you think then, Bill, they're still missing it, that they don't appreciate the full extent of it based on, for example, the preliminary look that they got of the senior loan officer uh, opinion survey, which seemed to indicate just an ongoing trend of what they had seen? Are they underappreciating a new pressure in the market? I think that his answer on the senior loan officer survey, it, it was that it's, it's moving in the same direction that it was upward and you know, tightening of credit conditions, but not in a way that would suggest that the, that the problems of the banking system since mid-March have you know led to a significant further tightening of credit conditions. So I think he's basically saying there's not really any new information in the senior loan officer survey. That was my, my sense of his response to that, to, to that question. Hey, Dr. Dudley, what you just said is extraordinary. You said basically the Fed missed the ramifications of new digital technology, the speed with which we can move deposits out. A delicate question, if I may, Bill, and that is basically they want Mary Daly's head. There's no other way to put it nicely. You've had experience being a president of a Fed. Do you go after the president of any given regional Fed when there's a major blow up like this? Or is it much more down the food chain looking at the process of supervision and regulation? I think it's a much broader issue about uh, supervisors finding finding problems with banks and then not forcing the banks to remedy those problems in a timely way. Uh, the second issue here was I think the Fed broadly missed the fact that, 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 that this interest rate risk that they had created by being very late to tighten monetary policy, that they created by flooding the bank with deposits by doing quantitative easing, that they created part of the stress on the banking system that arose when they had to tighten monetary policy by 5% in a little over a year. So the Federal Reserve has some culpability here, both in terms of the monetary policy, policy policies that they pursued over the last few years, and also in on the supervisory side. It's certainly culpability. They're not really looking to go out and acknowledge in a major way, that's for sure, based on some of the statements well, we've heard. They have to a degree. I mean, I thought the I thought the, the the Fed report from Michael Barr that came out last week was what did acknowledge that there was a lot of improvement on the supervisory side that that needed to be made. But I don't think the Fed has acknowledged the fact that the monetary policy regime that they followed, which was to be purposefully late in tightening monetary policy, meant you were encouraging banks to take on more interest rate risk, and then those banks got caught. 
and yeah. the Federal Reserve had to raise rates by 500 basis points. You know, I mean, the, the, at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is assess what is sufficiently restrictive in order to get inflation back down to 2%. Before the banking system problems, they thought sufficiently restricted was higher than what we are today. In fact, Paul was talking about potentially even doing a 50 basis point rate hike not too long ago. And then the banking uh, problems hit. And so that's caused the Fed to lower their estimate of what sufficiently restrictive is. So the data will inform them about what, what sufficiently restrictive is. If the data is really strong, they'll revise up their notion of what sufficiently restrictive is. Well, Bill, are but they going to put more weight we on get... financial sector data or are they going to put more weight on the data coming from traditional indicators? I think they're going to put a lot of weight on what, what they're seeing in terms of the labor market, wages and inflation. You know, that's really where they haven't made much progress yet. Uh, they're also going to probably take some signal by what's happening in the housing sector, because if you look at the single family housing sector, it looks like it's actually stabilizing. So the policy restraint that's already been put in place looks like it's the, the effects of that on housing are starting to fade. Bill, just a final question from us all. This is something Mike McKee's brought up over the last week in my conversations with him, whether this would be a nod to June 2006. You obviously have a deep understanding of the history of the Federal Reserve. Back in June 06, they wrote in the statement, the extent and timing of any additional firming that may be needed to address these risks will depend on the evolution of the outlook and et cetera, et cetera, inflation and economic growth implied by incoming information. Now, Bill, do you think it's a deliberate nod to June 06, when essentially that decision ended up being a pause? No, I don't think they know yet. I think Paul was being truth, very honest when he said that uh, we haven't made any decision about whether we're going to pause yet. I think they think that the probability uh, is higher that they're going to pause, but they haven't actually got there yet. And that was former New York Fed president and current Bloomberg opinion columnist Bill Dudley speaking with Bloomberg Surveillance following yesterday's Fed decision. If you missed any part of that conversation, you'll be able to hear the full interview on today's Bloomberg Daybreak podcast. Download the show every weekday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. This morning, we continue to watch banking stress play out in the pre-market with shares of PacWest now down about 38 percent. That regional bank has confirmed Bloomberg News reporting that it is exploring strategic options, including a possible sale. Assurances that the bank has not seen unusual deposit outflows don't seem to be offering assurances to investors this morning. So let's bring in Herman Chan to get more analysis on this. Been analyzing the regional banking turmoil throughout. Herman is a senior analyst for U.S. regional banks at Bloomberg Intelligence. Herman, good morning. What is prompting PacWest to explore strategic options? What is going on with this bank? Sure. So PacWest is an institution in California, much like uh, SVB and First Republic. Uh, it does have some exposure to the the tech companies, the startups, and the venture capital community, uh, much like SVB, but to a lesser extent. So it's not the entirety of its business uh, like SVB, but it's a subset, and that part of the business did suffer some deposit outflows in the first quarter. Um, they the the bank did mention in in March that it was looking at strategic alternatives, but uh, refrained from doing so given the market uncertainty. Uh, I, I think that it's this is just another uh, revisit of that notion that it's looking to either sell itself or or sell certain assets to to shore up its balance sheet. Is that where this is going to go? Are we going to see uh, assets going to other institutions here? Could there be other shoes to drop in the regional banking sector, particularly out west? 
Yeah, you you look at what's happening in the market. It it has this mentality of shooting first and asking questions later after uh, the the failures of really large regional banks and and strong institutions before this whole banking turmoil. SVB, uh, First Republic, and and Signature also had some operations on the West Coast in California. Um, it, it, it's it's unfortunate, but but the the playbook for for shorts and, and the market terminal ha, has been evident and and is working out well. So it, the 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 market's just going down the list of potentially weaker banks, and and, and PacWest is is firmly in that picture. It seems like this list is being gone down in pretty rapid fashion here. When we see these kinds of shaky situations for these banks happening almost day by day here at this point, does that raise the risk that we are seeing something systemic playing out here? You know what? Uh, when when the whole SVB situation was playing out, I, I was thinking this was more a idiosyncratic uh, issue because SVB managed their balance sheet a bit differently. They, they had much more uh, deposit inflow during the pandemic period versus other regional banks uh, because of who, who they catered to, the, the, the strength of the startup uh, market and the activity there. Uh, they, they invested at the height of the pandemic when interest rates were zero uh, with, into uh, securities, mortgage-backed securities, treasuries, et cetera. And as interest rates rose, those securities went down in value. They had much more exposure to, to that dynamic. Uh, what's happening now is that that idiosyncratic nature initially has seemed to have evolved to hit other banks that didn't have necessarily the same amount of risk that SVB did. So uh, it seems like we we need a more holistic solution from Washington, perhaps, uh, to to do something to really stem the nature. Because if we, we've already seen the domino effect of, of three banks fail and a few banks now teetering, so there needs to be some sort of response. It seems from from government authorities to really address the situation as a whole. Well, we have gotten something of a response from the FDIC, uh, you know, calling for a further cap uh, increase in the uh, cap of an insurance uh, for some of these deposits here. What more can be done uh, to provide some further confidence in the regional banking sector? What, what, what could it look like? What could it look like? I think it could look like a, a few different areas. I think the FDIC ha- has has sort of paved the way with their reports of changing deposit insurance, uh, putting some options on the table in terms of increasing uh, the insurance on uh, uh, on business deposits, uh, perhaps even a blanket insurance uh, guarantee across uh, all deposits. Uh, maybe that's something that needs to be. Uh, acted upon uh, more forcefully and more quickly. Uh, maybe government can do something uh, in terms of guaranteeing deposits uh, for a, a period of time to calm the markets. Um, so that's something perhaps that's that's on the table and something that we're looking forward to, to hearing more about. So in our last 30 seconds here, what about the assurances we heard from Chairman Powell that the First Republic takeover could put a floor on all this? Are there further shoes to drop potentially? <laughs> I appreciate those comments, um, but I think the market has 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 their mind made up that that 
the the market turmoil has hasn't really uh hasn't really quelled at this point so uh it it seems like based on first quarter reporting that the deposit outflow that happened with First Republic was much stronger. And, and First Republic was an outlier with the pops mm-hmm. down 40%. We didn't see that across the other day. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.